Welcome to Our Story, a podcast where ordinary people share extraordinary stories. My name is Atherva, and today I'm joined by Mike Simkowski. Hey, Mike, how are you, buddy? I'm doing great. How about you? Good, good. Uh, we're in a long weekend, and I had just taken a week off, so we're, we're dwindling down on my days off and uh, you know, prepping for getting back to the swing of things. <laughs> what about you? Doing well. Um, it's a good summer, uh, quite busy, but um, yeah, looking forward to the fall and some new stuff. Back That's awesome. So, yeah. And I, I kind of have a taste of why you said it's been busy and I want to get into that. But before we dive into um, all the great things that you're doing as an entrepreneur, I want to get to know just a little bit more about Mike. So, you know, if we were to look up your name on Wikipedia, say you had an article, what would that first paragraph say for you? I think it would say um, probably fairly uh, <clears throat> obsessive, passionate, uh, determined, um, loves hanging out with people. Um, yeah, I guess for me, it would just be a mix of kind of the drive going after, uh, new opportunities and creating and building things. And then just, uh, I just love, uh, getting together with people and sharing ideas and stuff like that. So, Yeah. Cool. That's really, that's, that's awesome. And we worked in the professional setting together for a little while, but also became friends outside of the professional setting. So I could definitely pick up on, if, uh, on the way you described that. And I want to just know a little bit more on, you know, what makes you that driven person? What makes you that obsessive and passionate person? Where, where did that come from? Yeah, I would say um, <clears throat> just the thrill of being able to uh, create things um, sometimes creating things from scratch and just to be able to see your ideas come to life, I think is uh, probably my biggest inspiration to be an engineer. And then, yeah, it's just, um, I guess I just enjoy the process of going through something, trying to get to a goal and kind of navigating all the obstacles along the way. I guess uh, everybody has things that, give them a thrill, I guess. And I guess for me, it's kind of solving problems and building things. That's awesome. So that that's cool that you say that the thrill comes from the solving problem things. And I think that's what drives, uh, I guess, most engineers. It's just like the way it's wired. You see a problem and you look for a solution. But help me try to translate that to some of the projects you've worked on and, uh, you know, how that's evolved into not only the professional uh, setting that you're in, but also the entrepreneurship uh, path that you've created. Sure. Yeah. So I guess, yeah, you know, I'll start with the fact that um, I personally think it's pretty rewarding for people to have both a profession and a business. And um, yeah, I guess I see those things as two kind of distinct spheres. So for me, um, I would say my natural inclination is I like the hard sciences. I like being hands-on. I like uh, testing and building things. Um, so that's definitely, that's my profession. And I, I really enjoy that. And I think over the years, I've evolved from, um, I guess, smaller, 
tinkering engineering projects, uh, smaller electronics, the building some more um, large scale things uh, like at work, uh, being able to work on kind of vehicle level software and then um, kind of <clears throat> still in the classroom being able to build like computer vision and some, um, I guess, yeah, some more advanced type applications. So uh, in college, you did electrical and computer engineering. Is that correct? Correct. Yep. So we shared that in common. And I know we talked about projects that we worked on in school and uh, whatever we called lab classes or tinkering, like you said, and how that has evolved into working on large scale projects. Uh, so if I were to like look from an outsider's perspective, how similar or different is one to the other? Or do you think, at least from my experience, it's been a building block that has culminated to what value at today? Could you repeat the first part again? I, I want to make sure I don't, didn't miss any of that question. Yeah. So the question was, you know, we shared the fact that we did electrical and computer engineering in college together. And we had talked about like the small projects we had worked on and to the point where we're in the professional setting and working on a much larger scale and maybe more complex projects. I wanted to paint a picture of how that involvement happened. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So I wanted to get your perspective of that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think it all starts with the kind of low level tinkering, building something, in your bedroom or kind of just playing around exploring and I think as you I think it's a natural evolution to go from being curious about things kind of building your own things to um, yeah getting into higher level projects uh, working in teams uh, building things that you know that you can't build alone and I think the things that have the most impact um, are going to require a, a decent sized team. So I, I guess, yeah, I find my desire to tinker and fiddle around with things less and less as I get further along. <clears throat> I would say I definitely don't have um, the same level of interest in just tinkering around and um, doing something for hours a day. <clears throat> Whereas <clears throat> now I see, I, I spend my time a little bit more, I guess I'd say tactfully, tactically, sorry, um, without kind of working with other people. Yep, that's awesome. And I guess the, the reason for me to ask this question is, you know, when we say engineering, that is such a broad paintbrush. Like that, that word in itself just means pretty much everything under the umbrella of, of what you see in your everyday life. And you know, it starts at the very beginning of just asking a question. Like if there's a question, engineering is just finding the solution to that. And uh, what I liked in our conversations in the past, Mike, is uh, the unique thing for what drove it is like, even if we don't know the answer to something, it's just a drive of willing to find that answer. So to paint a picture here, we both started at General Mills and I mean, is it safe to say like neither one of us had a good understanding of like food science? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> and yet we had to figure out solutions for, you know, uh, for problems that we encountered. So that's where 
I always say like what you learn in school is just a stepping stone into uh, enabling you to just solve whatever other problems you encounter in your professional, personal, or whatever, uh, you know, spheres you tackle. And what I really find interesting about you is that you took that into a whole new realm and started your own business. And I wanted to understand that transition and how, more importantly, not only did you start a new business, but you're doing that as a complement to your uh, day job as well. Is that fair to say? That is fair to say, yes. You know, walk me through your thought process and how it evolved into action. Yeah. So I guess um, I like to read and I like to listen to your podcast. And I guess I'd say my first or second year out of college, um, some of the things I read and some of the things I um, was listening to were kind of talking about uh, going into a business that is not necessarily related to what you study in school so um yeah to become more well-rounded and to um kind of broaden your skills i thought it was a good idea to go into something and i know being hands-on i really like um fixing things um solving problems etc so um, i thought i'd try um a real estate business uh, as a start and it just so happens that I had to move out of my parents house anyway um, I, guess <laughs> I didn't have to but <laughs> I think at that point I wanted to so um, yeah I decided to um, <clears throat> it's called house hacking basically you buy a multi-family unit you live in part of it and then you uh, you rent the other part out so yeah for me it was just kind of uh, something that I enjoy doing I like fixing things. Um, I like analyzing things. And it was, um, yeah. So I think the real estate side is really a mix of that analytical side, but also it's obviously pretty heavy on the people relationship side as well. So that that is something that has definitely stretched me quite a bit. That's really cool. So, you know, as I want to dive a little bit deeper into how you described you were listening to podcasts and books. What books and podcasts uh, do you think like inspired you the most? Yeah. So I would say um, one book, probably <clears throat> overused, um, but Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Uh, he particularly <clears throat> urges people to kind of expand their skill sets and pick something different than what they studied in school. Um, I'm curious, how did you come across this? Um, you know what? I actually met a, uh, a friend that was also an investor. He actually gifted me this book. So I'm not sure I would have read it uh, had he not gifted it to me. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, so give me just a gist of what the books uh, mean, like moral it's trying to convey. Yeah, so I think the um, the main moral of the book, and I guess it sometimes can be a little bit controversial, but it just talks about um, how every person should really be um, kind of taking control of their finances, and instead of <clears throat> strictly working for a an employer in a particular dollar amount, um, kind of 
become financially independent by essentially working for free, doing unrequired work, um, even when you're not, there's not an immediate payback, focusing, I would say, on more long-term strategies, even if you have to give up um, a lot of time. And I think a lot of it is you really just want to, in order to create a business, you really have to give first before you receive and sacrifice a lot in the early um, early days. So I think it's definitely talked a lot about that. So. Okay, very cool. And then what about the podcast side of things? Which ones do you listen to and which ones do you think have had the most influence? I would say the Tim Ferriss show is definitely one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've learned a lot of stuff just about like mindset and different ways that people have <clears throat> developed themselves over the years. And I guess, yeah, some of the things that some of the people that are most effective and the best in their fields, kind of the, the things that they practice. Um, so that's one. Um, yeah. And Tim Ferriss is like the, the superstar in the podcast where like, if you listen to podcasts, like, you know, who Tim Ferriss is yeah. and this show essentially just interviews successful people in all walks of life. And it's just, there's something to learn from everyone. Like uh, you have someone like, uh, like a movie star, you have a scientist, you have, uh like a mogul so it's just like a diverse audience and just talking about what success looked like for each person that's been really really cool to listen to i think yeah very interesting people yeah i agree (laughs) which ones uh, if i were to ask you like what which one's your favorite episode my favorite episode okay yeah my favorite episode was uh episode his name is josh Waitskin, he was like a world-class um, chess player and like a world-class in martial arts. I don't want to mess up exactly what martial arts he did, but yeah, he was he was world-class at two very different things. And it was that particular podcast. I want to say it's, it was one of his first podcasts, actually. Um, that particular podcast was... <clears throat> I guess at a really high level, it kind of talked about how a world-class chess player and someone who's world-class at martial arts really kind of, there's a lot of transferable skill sets. And I think what it really showed me is like, you know, like a lot of the different skills and a lot of the different things you learn that seem unrelated actually can have wide implications and provide a lot of insight into other fields. So I think, I don't know, that was kind of, I guess at the, the moment I listened to it the first time, it was kind of profound to me. That's awesome. I haven't yeah. listened to that one. I definitely have to check it out. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So uh, what other podcasts? Well, I guess a more tactical one for me was called the Bigger Pockets Podcast. And really what it is, is it's actually a free resource for people that want to do real estate investing. I think the cool thing about that is they often bring on people that are just kind of a couple years in or have have done something interesting or unique or different. 
And I think for me, that's it's kind of inspiring because you can see people that are like a couple of years ahead of you that, um, yeah, that have kind of exceeded the threshold of kind of getting started and um, starting an effective business. And it, I think it's definitely pretty empowering to be able to hear those stories. That's awesome. So I want to transition a little bit into understanding your decision to go into real estate out of all things. So I know you described that it was a good timing because you were moving out of your parents' house and you liked the problem solving of things. Uh, but what made you choose the real estate world instead of like many other fields that, um, you know, would fall under the engineering entrepreneurship umbrella? Yeah, I guess to be honest, um, you probably know this from knowing me. Um, I definitely, I definitely work a lot. Um, and I would say as the years like go on, I would like to work slightly less. And when I look at a lot of people that are kind of full-time entrepreneurs that are building products or offering services, um, it seems like that is a lot it takes a lot of time and it's really it takes a lot of time you never really I guess know when the end is going to come until you kind of have a business that's cash flowing so I think for me it's like I'm already working a lot so it would be nice to invest in an industry where there's a lot of upfront work but the work kind of can taper off as time goes on Hmm, that's a cool way to look at it. And now help for someone that doesn't know much about real estate, like me, uh, give me like a elevator pitch for, uh, what that business would look like. If I were an entrepreneur, I want to get into it. Uh, what would that elevator pitch for me look like? Yeah. So I think if I could summarize it in about a paragraph, I think real estate investing is all about finding an opportunity, something that may appreciate in value, something that you may be able to fix up and force to appreciate in value, or finding something that you can increase the cash flow of, and basically finding a way to finance it. So it's really bringing together an asset that you have a particular plan for um, financing, which is basically how are you going to um, pay for it. And then I guess the third part is operating it. Are you going to um, kind of market it for rent? Are you going to um, have commercial tenants? Are you going to sell it for more than you bought it for, et cetera? So I guess there's, that's, a, I guess, a high-level overview of things you can do. Okay, and that's really cool. And what path have you kind of concentrated on? Or is it something where, as a starter, you're focusing on one but one to uh, eventually, you know, evolved into the, the entire hemisphere. Yeah, I think what I want to do is um, buy and hold uh, over the long term, which is essentially you're, you're finding things that are undervalued, you're fixing them up or kind of financing the repairs. And then <clears throat> over a number of years, you uh, kind of create the income stream by renting it out and then. Um, if the markets kind of follow the general historical pattern, the real estate will have appreciated 
and be able to potentially pull equity out of the property to kind of use that equity for expanding. So I think that, Got it. So I think it's for me, like to give you an example, uh, the first time I purchased a property, which is actually my only property, um, I spent probably 20 plus hours a week kind of planning, working, um, <clears throat> renovating it. And then after four months doing that and marketing and in that I kind of was able to step away and kind of it kind of operates fairly passively. Yep. And I was happy to say that uh, I was there at your housewarming <laughs> when yeah. it was, it was uh, just uh, pretty much just walls at that point. Yep. I think you yep. had like one picnic chair in there <laughs> yep. and yep. a table for pong. I think that's all that there was there. <laughs> yep. Yep. In general, housewarming parties aren't always the kindest to, to your property. So I made sure I, I had the housewarming party before the renovations. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good time. No, I was super happy. And, um, where what does current state look like for you uh, you said that's the only property you have but what what big plans do you have on your belt to uh you know evolve and grow your business yeah so i guess um there's two fronts uh one is the buy and hold which i am currently looking and um i am hoping to close on a second deal this fall and then i guess the second front is the uh private lending side <clears throat> so there's definitely, it's a whole deep topic that I think not a lot of people know about um, <clears throat> privatized banking and private lending. And it's definitely something that you can't just Google and figure out how to do. Uh, but it's definitely something I've um, taken <clears throat> a lot of time to network and kind of find some opportunities where I can also lend um, so I'm actually hoping to get one of those contracts or notes. That's um, interesting. I mean, I have a guess at what it may mean, but could you describe what private lending is? Yeah, sure. So um, in general, banks, after the, the 08 crash, um, banks are pretty heavily scrutinized. And um, it's definitely it definitely can be hard for people that, let's say you're, pretty savvy investor and you see an opportunity it can definitely be difficult for people to get the money they need to get the deals done because uh, banks really aren't allowed to kind of lend in in certain situations like for instance let's say you found a property with uh the water was shut off um the roof was in sh uh, shambles and um maybe there was some water damage well a bank's not allowed to do that. That's kind of where the private um, investors step in, and you kind of, you basically write a note. Uh, it's called a note. It's basically um, kind of like a legal document where um, you basically, as an investor or a lender, you do your due diligence, and if you kind of understand the whole project they're trying to do and the whole process, um, you can essentially be the bank or part of the bank and kind of play that function. Um, and then there's also a lot of people that, um, a lot of people that do private lending are also 
Um, I use life insurance as a banking system, and I probably don't have time to go into that, but that's definitely a very, I think, little known or highly misunderstood uh, vehicle for banking. Hmm, that's interesting. Yeah. I would not have guessed that, but that's cool. You know, kind of to paint uh, like an analogy for what you described, and correct me if I'm wrong here, you're essentially like the show Shark Tank where you're the shark for uh, these potential people that are, you know, looking at buying a property or, you know, flipping a house, et cetera, et cetera. And you come into play of just, um, you know, investing in because the banks cannot. Is that like a good summary? Yeah. Either. Yeah. I think in most cases cannot or some cases just will not just because, um, some of the stuff is yeah more based on track, uh, personal track record, relationships, et cetera. If you kind of know somebody and kind of know their skill sets and know what they can do, it's a lot easier to, for me, for instance, to want to lend to somebody rather than a bank that just kind of sees them as a number. Got it. Yeah. So the risk yeah. that, you know, is, is seen by the bank is different than the risk that you're taking on. That's what I think. Okay. Very cool. That's interesting. I, I learned something very new, uh, but that's, that's really cool that you're into that field. And like I said, I, I can't highlight the fact enough that you're doing this as a, as a, as a secondary to your, your day job as well, which in yeah. itself is, is really cool. Uh, and I know you can't talk about the details of it, but you're um, a computer engineer in a, one of the best aviation companies in the world. Is that fair to say? I would like to think so. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Uh, so let's flip uh, gears a little bit. Uh, what does Mike uh, Mike's life look like outside of the 24-7 busy, busy work and school and uh, uh, real estate life? Oh, man. Um, I love nature and I love kind of anything outdoorsy. And I know we've had the opportunity to do some hikes together and that's been a lot of fun. So yeah, I would say some of my favorite things to do are uh, hiking. Uh, I do like rock climbing, uh, running, and some occasional pickup sports. Um, yeah, I know we've had the chance to play some tennis and some racquetball and Yes. Yeah, we have to pick up on that again. We have to resume it. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, coronavirus has definitely dampened dampened a lot of the summer plans that we would have otherwise done. But yeah, we definitely yeah. have to pick up on on those again. Uh, yeah. So of, you said outdoorsy stuff. I know you've done some pretty big hikes as well. What would you describe as your favorite favorite go to place? Well. <laughs> If I had to pick a local go-to place, it would definitely be the Adirondacks, just because yep. they're just yeah, just pretty, just a pretty vast place where I feel like you could always find something new to, to climb or see. I know we've been there before, so yeah, we did the highest peak together. <laughs> we did. That was that was that was a good trip. Hikes. I would say one of my favorite hikes. Um was in Yosemite, but mm -hmm. man, I think that the Mount Marcy hike also has to rank up there. That was, that was incredible. 
It was great. I mean, it literally had a little bit of everything. We set up camp in pitch dark. <laughs> we had to like move campsites in the middle of setting up camp. We, uh, you know, fit, I don't know, like eight or nine people and, and crammed into this one tent that night because the second tent just wasn't happening uh, with, with the, <laughs> uh, like with the space constraints that we had in that campsite. And then the next day it was just gorgeous. I know it had like trickled some rain during the night. Uh, <laughs> and the next day it was just gorgeous. It was perfect weather for us. We made it all the way to the top after I would say it was a pretty strenuous hike. It, it's not for, uh, you know, your everyday average jo- person. Uh, we made it. And then it felt like a scene from like a fantasy movie where it's just like a dark cloud was uh, like, just enveloping this one side of uh, of the mountain and it was just coming towards us and we decided to you know make our way down finally and then we got drenched just drenched Mm -hmm. it uh like it was a downpour it wasn't even rain it just felt like we were walking through a waterfall (laughs) yeah yeah i would say we were blessed to uh have the rain come about an hour after we uh climbed to the to the peak Yes, it wasn't on the way up, which was great. Yeah. It was actually on the way down. And literally, the trail turned into, like, stream because of just how heavy yeah. the yeah. fall was. <laughs> yeah. But was good times. Hike, but, man, that's a good story. It is, yeah. Definitely a memorable hike. I, I loved mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Um, and then what, uh, what was your favorite hike in uh, Yosemite, you said? I've done that, too, but uh, I know we haven't done that one together. Yeah, I was able to... Um, climb half dome which oh was, neat okay yeah. awesome yep yeah, yeah that is i would say one of the i would say it's like a world famous trail it's not even a trail you're literally scaling up a a rock <laughs> yeah yeah that was um definitely one of the more nerve-wracking things i've done not necessarily because it was difficult just because it was you're in between two cables and onto either side of you it's kind of pretty sheer uh rock face and basically you're you it's steep enough that you can't just walk you have to use your arms to kind of move yourself along but it's not so steep like you're not climbing it's just very weird it's like every step you take is you have to you take it carefully because it's pretty <laughs> margin of is pretty narrow there <laughs> yeah i think it was more the fear factor <laughs> that's awesome i would love to do that one day but um you know don't don't have any plans anytime soon <laughs> yeah yeah that's awesome and uh mike you know i always end this podcast with uh, a personal note we've become friends over the past couple of years and i always ask you know if there was one piece of advice you had for me and if it's not specific to me it's something maybe a life motto or a creed that you live by what would that advice be um so i guess this isn't necessarily targeted just at you i think one of the one of the phrases that i always um have in my the back of my mind is it's a phrase called no hurry no pause and i actually learned it uh listening to a tim ferris episode but I think the kind of moral behind that is um, people often get, get an idea or something they want to do and they kind of just 
go really hard for a couple of days and then burn out and then throw it away. So yeah, I think the big, I think the biggest thing that has helped me is just kind of picking things that I want to go after and things I want to try and just not getting too like into it at any given point, but always just saying like every day I'm going to take an action to uh, move forward. And I think it's, yeah, I think it's definitely made things more enjoyable for me at least. Got it. So you're saying take a small bite at a time, but finish a sandwich. That's, that's a good analogy. Okay. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. Great. Hey Mike, it was such so great catching up and I hope our paths cross again in person with this pandemic dwindling down. Um, and you know, can't wait to get back on the trails and tennis okay. court. Absolutely. There's a quote by Bill Nye that says, everyone you'll ever meet knows something you don't. And today I learned from Mike, no hurry, no pause. Just make progress every single day. Thanks, Mike.